Thanks for joining for this episode of the Inner Circle uh, podcast. Uh, my guest this week is Jamil Jaffer from IronNet. So, uh, Jamil, uh, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of uh, background on yourself and a little bit of background on IronNet for those who are not familiar with, uh, with the company. Sure. Well, Tony, thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you hosting uh, me today on the podcast. So, uh, my name is Jamil Jaffer. As you said, uh, I will admit to being a recovering lawyer uh, but I'm also a tech addict. Uh, you know, I grew up with uh, with computers my whole life. I my first computer was a Tandy TRS-80 Trash-80 color computer with 4K of onboard RAM. And when we upgraded to to 16K, everyone in the uh, in the color computer club, the Rainbow Computer Club in Santa Monica, California, were like, "What are you going to do with 16K of onboard RAM?" So, I've been yeah. uh, I've been uh, you know messing around with computers my whole life. Um, even though I did ultimately go to law school. Uh, so I, I uh, run strategy and partnerships for IronNet, and IronNet was founded uh, about four years ago, about five years ago, actually, by General Keith Alexander, the former uh, director of NSA and the founding commander of U.S. Cyber Command. Uh, and when General Alexander left uh, left uh, NSA, uh, he said, look, you know, I, I'm coming out of the government. I've seen a lot of some of these the, the most capable nation-state threat actors out there. I've gone up against them. I've been one of the most capable. Uh, I've ran one of the most capable nation-state forces out there going after our uh, national, um, uh, you know, uh, opponents, um, and uh, maybe I can contribute something to the private sector and help them get better at defending themselves. Um, and he began a lot of conversations with folks in the financial sector and the energy sector and the healthcare sector. And what he quickly realized was that there was a real gap in uh, in in threat detection and uh, threat analytics. In particular, uh, what he identified now five years ago was that there was a a challenge uh, in addressing the big data problem when it came to cybersecurity. There was a challenge with addressing uh, behavioral threat detection because the state of the art at the time was was signature-based detection. Um, and really what I identified was that there really wasn't a lot of work going on to get companies to work together in real time at scale and at speed to defend one another, essentially engaging in what we would today call collective defense. Uh, there was a lot of information sharing going on. A lot of the ISACs were doing great work like the FSISAC, the EISAC, uh, and the like. Um, but they weren't doing that in real time at sort of, quote unquote, machine speed um, and at scale. And so um, he, along with uh, some of the friends that he knew, both from the government and on the outside from the private sector, set out to build a capability, a network threat analytics and collective defense tool that would do just that, operate on big data at speed and scale identifying behavioral anomalies, trying to identify the threats out of those behavioral anomalies, and then sharing those across a collective group of, of companies in the same sector and then across multiple sectors. Ultimately, uh, the hope is to, to share that data with, with appropriate governments and be able to allow the government to have some visibility of what's happening to, the, to industry so they can go act under their own authorities, and also the government provide information back to industry to help them defend themselves. And one of the working theories behind this idea is that you know, we always have assumed uh, that that you know the nation is going to defend us from 
other nation state threats, right? When you think about a Russian bear bomber, you don't think the target needs to have surface to air missiles on the roof of their warehouses to defend against bombers from Russia or China or anywhere else. And yet today in cyberspace, we expect that very thing of every single company in the economy, that they're there to defend themselves against the script kitty in their basement to the organized criminal actor operating out of Eastern Europe, all the way up to a nation state with virtually unlimited uh, resources, both human and financial. And that's just not reasonable. And so if, if companies are going to function in that environment, um, they're going to have to work with one another, defend each other, defend sectors, and ultimately probably work with their host governments and allied governments uh, to really engage in the kind of defense that would work against a committed nation state attacker. So that's the concept. Yeah. Well, so that brings, actually brings up an interesting uh, uh, thought because uh, I've never really thought of it that way. I mean, I've, I've thought of it sort of that way. But but when you talk about, you know, yeah, you know, Target, uh, General Motors, American Airlines, whoever, you know, uh, they they can be targeted by and are basically left to their own to defend against nation state attacks or, you know, very, very sophisticated, you know, international cybercrime attacks and things like that. Um, and it, it is, you know, I think we've only recently begun to recognize that as a you know, sort of valid form of warfare, as a valid form of like, I can actually attack you that way. And so I think there wasn't any, you know, it's like when you talk about the, you know, Russian, Russian bear bombers are defending the airspace, that's real easy. I mean, it's real easy for me to say, okay, this is my airspace and I, as the U.S. government, am going to keep anyone else out of my airspace. Um, that's a lot harder to do at the internet level. I mean, we're all connected. And so I can, uh, you know, if I want to, if I want to bomb the United States, you know, using a, a, an airplane, I have to get into your airspace and therefore, you know, the, it, it's easy for the United States to defend against that. But if I want to kind of go for the low hanging fruit and come in the back door at an internet level, um, I can do that. You know, I can, I can, you know, then it, then it becomes a little bit of a sort of a supply chain attack. I mean, if I can just get into a low level company that is maybe a supplier to a supplier that works with the department of defense or whatever, you know, I can I can kind of come in through the back door and then work my way up through the chain, uh, and so I think you know we're we're just now kind of coming to that realization that you know yes we we actually need to protect everyone at at, at, all, at all levels because even though it might not seem at face value like that's a military asset or that that's a you know nation state kind of target anything really can be. No, that's, exa that's exactly right. It's a great point. And if you look at, you know, recent attacks, that's exactly the methodology. You look at the target hack, and, and if, if reports are to be believed, they came in through an HVAC vendor, right? You look at uh, what happened to Las Vegas Sands Corporation back a few years ago. Uh, they found a vulnerability in a web server um, at a slot casino in Pennsylvania. Now, there were bad infosec practices going on there. The administrator from Vegas had gone down there and used the same password. But the point is, is that you're right that, that just like the flow of water, uh, nation state and other cyber actors will look for the weakest point or the most natural point of entry and will go in that way rather than trying to bang against the very well-protected uh, door of the, of the big company and the well-defended uh, entity. And so you're exactly right. We've got to be thinking about supply chain defense and collective defense uh, where we're talking about the entire group of people you might associate with. You know, another good example is that is not Petya, right? There was an effort by the Russians to go after the Ukrainians. Um, you know, we're here on the on almost a two-year anniversary, and um, and they targeted a very specific Ukrainian piece of accounting software 
And yet the damage was felt by some of the biggest Western companies out in the world to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And they were not even the targets. They were simply collateral damage. And when you think about that scope of collateral damage, you've got your state of self. Every board of directors of every major company out there has got to be thinking about this because if they're not thinking about it, they may be attacked even if even if they don't they're not the intended target and they may be vulnerable, uh, resulting in a in a diminution of their stock price or their value. You look at just now what happened to Equifax with their with the with the with the downgrade in their rating by Moody's. Um, it just goes to show that the market is now starting to take account of these very facts and boards who aren't paying attention to this issue, which I think a lot of them are now, need to focus very clearly on these issues. Yeah, um, it, it, one of the things. Uh, that I think is interesting um, is that uh, IronNet, you know, was was founded by you know, General Keith Alexander, former NSA. Um, yeah, I'm I am friends with uh, Ron Gula, who was the founder of Tenable, and now uh, is a, a you know, venture capitalist, angel investor. Uh, was on the podcast uh, a couple months ago. Um, I have other friends, Jeff Mann, and others who were former NSA or former military cybersecurity people and um, you know the conversation that I've had with them uh, has been around you know I, I find it interesting to go from being on that side of the fence and being in a position where it seems and, and, and I realize there's some like sort of myth to it like I have no idea what the NSA capabilities really are but I've always assumed that they're basically omnipotent <laughs> when it comes to the internet like like when 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 the Edward Snowden, uh, leak happened and there were all these revela revelations about what the NSA was doing and people were like shocked by that and I was like well I'm not really shocked I mean I might be shocked about how they're using it but I always just assumed that the NSA could do those things right. um, and you know so but to go from being on that side of the fence and having you know seen that the, the capabilities firsthand and using them and then to come out into the into the you know into the world and in a private industry and be like, okay, well now I'm going to do InfoSec as a, as a, as a career. Um, it's like, okay, but you're going to do InfoSec as a career, sort of knowing that it's futile, you know, <laughs> knowing that, knowing that you can't really defend against it, um, uh, you know, is, is an interesting thing. Um, yeah, so uh, kind of what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you go from being on the NSA side of the fence to coming to the other side and saying, okay, now I'm going to defend against that, uh, and and I will add that you know one of the things that I I think it was Jeff Mann and I spoke about on the podcast was uh, you know there is a, a I guess sort of a another side to the coin of that which is maybe you do it because you know like you 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 do know what the capabilities are from the NSA side and so now you're actually better able to kind of build the defenses that would be better against those kind of things because you understand how how the NSA or how other nation state actors, uh, you know, what they're doing to find the weak points and what they're doing to find the the, the vulnerabilities to, to exploit. And so now you can come to the, the other side of the fence and say, okay, well, let's focus on how to fix those things. Yeah, no, Tony, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think that your and Jeff's conversation is, is, is right on point, uh, which is to say that to defend against the best attackers, you have to be able to think like the best attackers, right? And the truth is that the NSA is by far and away the most capable adversary out there in cyberspace. Uh, they are uh, the most able, they, they're the best at getting in, they're the best at getting data out. 
uh, and they're the best at at at, uh, at computer at network warfare. Um, that is just the reality. Now, it doesn't mean that some of our peer competitors, China, Russia, aren't aren't getting better and fast, um, and that some of the smaller countries like North Korea and Iran aren't aren't trying to up their capabilities quickly and aren't getting more and more aggressive. They are. Um, and you're right to say that. Look, a committed nation state adversary. Uh, who's willing to spend the resources of the time, because as you, as you correctly point out, are, they're virtually unlimited, uh, it is very hard to defend against. That being said, we also know, Tony, that, uh, that lockpicks exist um, and that most criminals know how to use a lockpick. That doesn't stop you and me from closing our door at night, locking our door, and relying on that to make it harder for a bad guy to get in, right? Um, and you know, none of us would think to leave our door wide open, even though we know that if a, if a committed attacker wants to get in, they can pick our lock. Uh, and we do that because uh, it deters people, it at least puts a barrier in front of them, makes it harder to get in, um, and suggests to people that they should go to the next place and the easier target. Um, and so today, you know, we talk about, well, why do, why do we still see phishing being used as, a, as an exploit, even by nation states, to get into systems? Why do we see them using exploits for which, uh, for which patches have been released, uh, even nation states? And the answer is because there are plenty of people out there who haven't patched their systems. There are plenty of people out there who will still click on a phishing email um, and, you know, why use a zero-day tool uh, when you have uh, people being, being exploited by something less than that? And why go after the hardest target if you can get into the easier target? Now, there are times at which uh, there are going to be, you know, critical infrastructure entities, financial institutions, energy companies, healthcare providers, and the like, who are going to want to defend themselves as best they can, not just against the script kiddies um, and the organized crime attackers, but even against nation states and do the best they can and they can and should do that too, because the last thing you want is to say, well, I didn't do enough. I didn't try hard enough. Just because you know, at the end of the day, a really committed attacker may be able to get in, you want to hire the best and the brightest and those who've been on the other side so they, you can use leverage their knowledge to defend yourself as, as well as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, and this is you know, dating myself, so it goes way back, but I remember when, you know, Wi Fi was just becoming a thing and you had, uh, you had WEP. As your as your encryption, and yep. then they were like, "Well, turns out I can crack that in under a minute." You know, so your your web is useless. Um, and so then there was sort of a you know debate uh, in the, in the media of, "All right, well, I, you know, I guess you just shouldn't bother with that." And my my point at the time was, "Well, no, by all means, like I mean, it, it, you know, if if and when you can, definitely upgrade. You know, get yourself some web two, some WPA. I don't know, we move on to something that's less less vulnerable. But in the meantime." Definitely keep your web password because if someone's just driving down the street looking for Wi-Fi networks, yeah, they can crack yours in under 60 seconds with the right tool. But if your neighbor just doesn't have anything on at all, they're just going to go there. I mean, you, you're, you're just trying to, you know, it's it's that old, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than you. Exactly. And in this case, the bear is a very real bear. It's a Russian bear, you know, um, and and that bear is looking for for juicy targets and it will go after some of the hardest ones, uh, but it'll also go after uh, the, some of the some of the the slow guys, you know, and you don't want to be the slow guy in that pack. Um, and, you know, Ron, Ron's been a really great mentor to me. Um, I, th I think the world of that man and his wife, Cindy, uh, they built an amazing company in Tenable. Um, and Tenable really does today help you with a lot of that stuff, right? Getting some of that, that some of those basics right and getting you to 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 you know a, a core level of protection, which if you're not there, you know, you got real issues. And so everyone talks today about, oh, look, Baltimore uh, hacked by an alleged NSA exploit, Eternal Blue, you know. Um, but but the truth is that that exploit, whoever created it, 
has been out for two years. It's been two years since Microsoft patched that vulnerability that it, that it utilized. And if people are being attacked by Eternal Blue, which a lot of people are, um, you know, you got to ask yourself, well, you know, why did you patch your systems? Right. Right. And, and then, I mean, that's been a common theme. I mean, we've seen it my entire career in IT security. Uh, you know, I was uh, working, you know, in the trenches as a network admin and security uh, architect during NIMDA and Code Red and 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 SQL uh, Slammer stands out because I, I I remember having to basically work through the weekend for SQL Slammer, uh, you know, dealing with the internet basically being completely crippled um, over something that had a patch like eighteen months before that. It's amazing, it's amazing. And you know now it's you know twenty years later we haven't really learned anything. Uh, right. you know, that's that that is still a factor and you know so yeah I mean I. You know, like you already alluded to, you know, when there when there's a dedicated attacker, like it, when an attacker wants to get into your network specifically, and they've got the time and the resources, they're probably going to get in eventually. I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do to absolutely defend against that. Um, you know, so that that's going to happen, but that's not how most attacks are. Most attacks, uh, you know, the, the, are are more crimes of opportunity. They're you know they're just right. they're mindless scanners that are just looking for vulnerable systems. And you know and and you know you you have the people and the companies who have this sort of attitude about security. Like, well, I don't really need to worry about that. I don't have anything that an attacker would want. You know, I don't yeah. I, I don't have anything that's worth it. And it's like that 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 shows an, uh, a lack of understanding of the threat landscape because it's like the attacker could care less <laughs> what you have. All they want is a vulnerable system. Any vulnerable system is a good vulnerable system for something, whether it's I want to send out spam, I want to use it as a, you know, for, for denial of service. I want to, you know, I just want to hop off from there to find, you know, what other systems I can get to. Um, every, every vulnerable system is a valuable target. Totally. I mean, that's exactly right. And and look, the, it's like we talked about not Petya, right? Those companies weren't even the target. They were just sort of drive-by victims of, of what was an attack, very focused on somebody else, um, but that exploited a vulnerability in a product that they happen to have. Um, and you know, you look at the you look at the the wired story about uh, about about not Petya and its effect on on Maersk, the shipping company, um, and you realize that. They were only able to bring their systems back up by finding a domain controller in some country in Africa, which had gone down 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 to a power outage, and and it was still alive. And they got went physically rescued the hard drive and reimaged all their domain controllers worldwide based on that one hard drive that was saved by a power uh, by a power outage. I mean, you imagine like you know it's 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 2019, 20 you know 18 when this happened, and uh, and we're still having these conversations. 2017, 2018 when this happened, right? I mean, it's. It's amazing, as you say, uh, that we're starting these conversations, and yet, you know, it is it is one of the challenges of cybersecurity. But it's not an excuse for not uh, for not doing what it takes, particularly if you're a company that is going to be a target. Right? We know that nation-state attackers are going after American critical infrastructure; that they're going after major American industry. Um, at this point, the U.S. government has declassified enough information uh, for us to know that some of the most capable, committed attackers out there, and uh, you know, we're talking about China. Russia, North Korea, Iran, and others are focused on American history, particularly on critical infrastructure. Maybe not to do something today, but they're definitely focused on it. And if you're in those industries, you know it's really important that you focus not just on the basics, um, on the sort of what people call cyber hygiene, 
but that you focus on the advanced threat and that you get the capabilities in place to at least get ahead of that problem, even though you may not solve it all the time, 100% every day. It's a constant battle to keep up. Right. Well, and, and you know, to go to go back to the supply chain kind of issue, it's like that. Uh, if you apply the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation to the internet, uh, you know, I don't have to go after American Airlines. I don't have to go after General Motors. Uh, I can go after the supplier of the supplier of the supplier. Um, and and when you get down to that six degrees of separation level, probably every company is connected to every other company in some way. Um, yeah. so if I can just get into a company, uh, and start branching out from there to, you know, well, who do they work with? What networks trust them? You know, what can I get to from there? Uh, you know, there's, there's just a kind of a domino effect, uh, of being able to do that. Um, you know, and so a, a lot of this, you know, again, you're not going to, you're not going to stop a dedicated attacker with the, with the, the time and resources to, to get in, but, at the same time, uh, cybersecurity, effective cybersecurity, also isn't necessarily rocket science. It doesn't. You don't have to invest, you know, all of your money and have all the cutting edge tools. A lot of the foundational concepts and principles are relatively simple. And if you just did those, if you just, if you could just do like the top ten things you're supposed to do you'd probably eliminate a vast majority of the threat landscape. And, you know, and, and like, like you already mentioned, if you, if you just could do better at uh, patch management, at deploying patches for things that, you know, when you have public facing systems that have critical vulnerabilities that you know will, you know, have catastrophic consequences if they're exploited on your systems, it shouldn't take you five months, a year, two years to implement that patch. There's no excuse for, for you know, like you said, with Baltimore, there's no excuse for to, for still being vulnerable to that. Um, and we can, we can debate about, you know, well, you know, assuming it's valid that the NSA created the tool in the first place, like we can debate, should they have created it or shouldn't they have, or, or, you know, how did that get leaked and everything. But like you said, Microsoft released a patch two years ago, so that's kind of a moot point now. Like, just right. apply the damn patch. Totally. Well, look, I mean, I think I think you raised an important point, right? Which is that this idea of, of the need for addressing your supply chain and recognizing that that sort of water and cyber attackers are going to flow to the easiest route possible. Um, you know, you've got a responsibility to your shareholders, to your uh, the people that your customers and the like. Uh, to work with your supply chain and, and and other folks in your industry to defend yourself and that you've got to engage in this idea of collective defense. You know, what we're seeing actually at IronNet um, is that there's an increasing uptake of that concept um, across industry. You know, we just recently did a survey of 100 key, or sorry, 200 uh, key IT decision makers. Um, and what we found was 94% of these respondents uh, to our survey uh, said that they'd be willing to share more uh, information about what's happening to them with their industry peers if they, if it would demonstrably improve their ability to detect threats, and so, you know, one of the things that we're doing at IronNet is working explicitly on that particular issue: is how do you get companies to agree to share with one another everything that they're seeing, so they can have shared situational awareness and really collectively defend against that threat, you know? And and so it was amazing to us to find out, you know, we, we sort of operate on this principle that this is the right thing to do. You know, everyone has sort of talked about uh, the need for information sharing. We've been talking about this for the better part of a decade now. 
Um, and But it's never really gotten to real-time, machine speed, instantaneous. Let me show you everything I'm seeing. You show me everything you're seeing. Let's learn what's common and what we're seeing. Let's eliminate the obvious stuff that's just white noise, and let's find the bad threats. Let's go after them together. Um, you know, it's amazing for us to even find in the survey that 94% of the people said they would do more of that. And so it's 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 uh, it makes us feel better about what we're doing as a company. Uh, but it also says uh, that that means there's a lot more work to be done uh, to get uh, to get people actually to do this thing now that they're saying they're willing to do it. Right. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, the financial industry is, is a good example of, you know, that they've they've been ahead of this for a while. They, 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 they were really the first as a as a vertical. They were kind of yes. the first industry to recognize the value of this. But, um, you know, you said we've been kind of talking about this for the better part of a decade. From for me, it goes back a little bit more than that uh, to 2006 and uh, Operation Aurora and Night Dragon. Yes. Yes. Um, at, at, and, at, and at that time, I had conversations with uh, uh, George Kurtz, who was then CTO of, of McAfee. Right. Uh, and, and we talked about how, you know, there were a lot of companies that were seeing problems. They were seeing issues. They, they you know, but, you know, this company had a piece of the puzzle. That company had a piece of the puzzle. And nobody was talking to anybody and everyone no one actually knew what the puzzle was supposed to be they just had like you know one or two indicators of compromise and and didn't know how to put the pieces together and it wasn't until google took the initiative to to just lay their cards on the table and be like look this is what happened that everyone came out of the woodwork and said oh look that matches what we have we have this piece over here and and it was really you know like i i expected that we'd be further along in this discussion by now because that worked so well and there was such a great uh response to that and feedback on that and everyone everyone seemed to really appreciate like wow that was really that was really great you know once once we all kind of put our cards on the table and shared information you could see what the puzzle was you know it's like if i only give you if i give you two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle there's no way for you to figure out what the picture is even supposed to be that's you right. know, so it's like if everyone puts their pieces on the table, now you can at least now you can see, you know, how the, how they go together and, and, and what the big picture is. Um, and so there's tremendous value in that. But, you know, we've had I think there are road, there, there are roadblocks from, you know, especially publicly traded companies don't want to admit weakness. They, they don't want to talk about, you know, the ways that they might have been compromised because they, it, might, it might affect share price. Companies don't don't uh, often don't trust the government, uh, and so there's there's some reluctance there. Um, and and as as the survey uh, that you talked about shows, I mean we've we've made progress there. Um, and I think that you know more organizations, more industries need to follow the model of the financial industry because they manage to share just fine um, with each other. And it's not being shared publicly. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it allows them to help each other without, uh, you know, without showing their hand publicly, right. um, which I think is, is, is valuable. No, I think you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's interesting. It, it reminds me of that old parable of the, the blind man and the elephant, right? You don't know what you don't know um, until, until you have some of the additional pieces, as you say, in that, in that puzzle. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying to do as a company is to, is to get people the various pieces of the puzzle and, and, and let them identify what's happening here. Um, and you're right, it does go back actually even more than a decade. It goes back to the exact era that you're talking about. And at the end of the day, you know, part of these challenges are, are partly legal. You know, um, part of the problem is the lawyers are in the room, right? I, I say this as a recovering lawyer. Um, when, you have a, when you have an incident, the first thing, oftentimes a, a technologist 
wants to do is pick up the phone and call his colleagues and say, hey, let me tell you what just happened to me. You need to watch out for this, right? And that happens in companies across the, across the country every day, right? One guy who knows another guy at another company or one woman at, at one company is saying, hey, you got to watch out for this thing, right? And, and what's happening is the lawyers get involved. They say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We may have breach reporting obligations. We have to tell our regulators, don't call anybody. Don't engage that collective defense. And so, you know, one of the first things I did uh, when, I was, when I was at the House Intelligence Committee working for uh, then-Chairman Mike Rogers uh, for Michigan was we developed a piece of legislation uh, that, he, that he co-authored and, and put out there with Dutch Ruppersberger uh, from, from Maryland uh, that would basically have cleared the legal landscape uh, for information sharing, would have taken out a lot of the legal barriers. Um, that bill took a while to get passed. We first introduced it in 2011. It didn't get passed in a modified form until 2015. It's what's, it's what's now known as, as uh, CISA, the Cyber Information Sharing Act. Um, but, uh, but, you know, even that bill doesn't go far enough. There are some, there are some key flaws in it um, where it didn't give full liability protection for sharing. Um, it, it required certain kinds of sharing with the government, required companies to do certain things in terms of minimization um, that now puts an extra burden upon them. All that being said, it did a lot to get the lawyers out of the room. We're still not quite there yet. Um, but we're definitely better off. And you look at the survey, as you point out, and 92% of respondents say that not only are they willing to share 94% with industry, 92% are willing to share with the government if the government would use its own authorities to go do something about some of these threats, right? So the right. government has to be willing to make a commitment too. either give us information back, help us defend ourselves better, or you do something in your authorities, but don't just take information from us and then seek to regulate us back. I mean, that's, that's right. not going to, that's not going to be a productive relationship, right? And so... Um, you know, people are willing to do this thing. It's just now a matter of actually executing. And our hope is that this Iron Dome capability, this idea of bringing companies together uh, in a sector, bringing sectors together across an economy, bringing sectors and the government together uh, to defend a nation, that that concept uh, will actually take hold. I mean, we've seen it happen in the energy industry today. Uh, we, have, we have established a sharing relationship with a number of major energy providers. Uh, we publicly described uh, five major energy companies covering 25 states. It's actually a lot more than that. Today, September 2017, are, we're all sharing information about every single anomaly happening to them so that each of them could have shared situational awareness. That's a really neat thing to happen and so allows those companies to better defend themselves against these advanced threats. Yeah. You know, another thing that it, 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 it's sort of equivalent to is uh, the the larger vendors and 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 or you know uh, managed security uh, providers are basically kind of providing this uh, a similar thing uh, and, and selling it to you as a value add like you know the the, the McAfee's or the Qualys's of the world or you know and, I mean I have a day job with Alert Logic and you know one of the value or the part of the value that we, that we bring to customers as Alert Logic is. We're looking at the networks of four thousand customers, you know, four thousand plus customers around the world. So, you know, company A, you might be looking at you know your own network and 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 trying to you know look at the indicators of compromise and look for threats, but you you just see your picture. Well, we're seeing four thousand pictures. So, you know, and 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 we're not we're not sharing details of those things with other with other customers but it does give us the big picture like so that yeah. we we know what to do when when customer number 1 is you know we see a threat over here well now we know how to react and and take you know and be and be proactive with the other 3999 plus customers and no, that's exactly yeah that's exactly right and and so 
and and so there are there are companies out there who see the value of that who say yeah you know what that's great you know I I, I, I want to go with Alert Logic I want to go with McAfee I want to go with Qualys right. because they've got this global view this global network of customers that they're able to get a, a big picture from and um, you know so they just need to that you know maybe take a step back and say oh wait we can also just do that. You know, like, 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 I mean, by all means, use, you know, use the alert logics and the qualities right. and the McAfee's or whatever, but also just understand that the, the value that what you're paying for or part of what you're paying for is this collective intelligence. It is, it is, you know, it's, it's a different form of it, but it's the same concept of if you, if, instead of just having your view, we're taking thousands of views and putting them together so that we can say, okay, what's the big picture here? That, that's exactly right. And I think there's a lot, there's a huge amount of value in those capabilities you know, Palo Alto does something similar with their wildfire capability. And what we're doing with our Iron Dome capabilities, we're sort of giving you a chance to peek behind the curtain, right? So, okay, so what does collective intelligence look like at this big company? Let me see what my industry peers are seeing. They're, they're, I, I trust these guys, right? They're willing to share with me. I, I'm willing to share with them. You know, let's look behind the curtain and see what everybody else is seeing. And now I can see attack trends. I'm, I can see, oh, well, three weeks ago to company A, this happened in my industry. Company B got it two weeks ago, and I got it this week, right? Clearly there's a pattern of attack happening to me. There's a lot of power, um, as you say, for companies like AlertLogic and McAfee and the like to see those things on their own screens. We now give companies the ability to see that same thing on their screens. Yep. So, all right. Well, uh, I mean, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. But uh, I, cool. I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat. I think it was a, it was a great conversation. Uh, and, you know, very, you. very interesting uh, stuff. And, 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 you know, like we just got done pointing out, I mean, I think that I think the the value, I, I think everyone understands the value conceptually. It's right. it's getting it's getting them from thinking that you have to, you know, that someone else has to do it for you uh, right. to, to understanding that, well, you guys, you know, like whether it's the financial industry or the energy sector or, you know, transportation or whatever, like, or it doesn't even have to be an industry per se, but that there's value in sharing information um, and, and again, if you just go back and look at kind of, you know, how quickly we understood the big picture once, once Google put their cards on the table, uh, you know, with Night Dragon, um, then you can see, you know, how, how, how critical that, that kind of information sharing can be. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think that's hundred um, percent. Hey, by the way, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, where do you, where do you live by the way? Uh, I am, uh, based out of, uh, Houston. Houston. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I actually, I lived for a year in Houston. I lived in, uh, I lived in Midtown at Gray and Bagby. Very nice. Right across from the front porch pub. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, next time in Houston, we should try to grab a beer or next time you're in DC, let me know. Absolutely. Uh, well, or, a, or, a, I, or a coffee or a, you know, soda, whatever, whatever, whatever is your flavor of uh, poison. I, I, I actually will be in DC in a couple weeks, but I think oh, I'm going to be pretty booked up. I'm going to be there for okay. a national geographic, uh, event Ooh, are you a member of the national national geographic society i am not a member it's just that my 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 journalism uh has grown beyond uh cybersecurity, and so cool. i do a lot of stuff with and for national geographic as well and so they invited me out for their like sort Very of end cool. of year celebration thing so yeah i'm looking forward to that it's gonna be cool it's like nice. all the, you got all you their get photographers their and videographers and awesome. uh, and all of their like experts are all going to be in the same room at the same time. So it's going to be a little bit uh, overwhelming being in the presence of greatness. Yeah, yeah. I was on a I was on a flight uh, to Chile, um, and uh, a bunch of people on my flight were going on a national a National Geographic trip to Tierra del Fuego and like to you know whatever uh, you know the the Antarctic. 
or Antarctica. And, um, and, uh, people were, I mean, people were pumped about it. I mean, it was, it sounded awesome. And I was like, man, I want to go on one of those. I didn't know that was a thing, right? Like who knew? Um, so you gotta get yourself on one of those trips. That would be amazing. Well, I gotta just gotta get, keep working my way up the chain. So there you go. All right, man. Cool. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Right, talk to you. Yep. Bye. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.